0: jessica care better known as just tron and today i am happy to welcome you to everyone's favorite podcast well technically
1: Ooh, yeah uh, i'm gonna have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there jessica the name of the podcast that we all discussed was uh greater than code if i remember correctly greater than code i kind of like the way that sounds yeah it's kind of cool anyway hi yeah i'm sam livingston gray and uh i am pleased to well I am here to welcome Dave Brady to the show as well.
2: (laughs) Nice correction. We love you, Dave. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, from sunny and cold Utah, where I left my office window open all night and I have regrets because my fingers are frozen. Today, it is my great honor to be on the podcast with Astrid County.
3: Thanks, Dave. I can't believe that it's cold in Utah. Do you know it's like 85 degrees here in Texas, so I envy uh-huh. your coldness. And I want to welcome to the podcast, Coraline. Oh, my Oh, it's okay.
4: My um it's Corline Ida Emke, and I'm really happy to be here today. It is cold and gray in Chicago, but I am goth as fuck and I don't mind. <laughs> 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 so, at- Jessica, who do we have on the show today?
0: Today we are super happy to welcome LaToya Allen. LaToya is a self taught engineer currently working at Big Cartel. She's also the founder of She Nomads, a community of underrepresented folks in tech and allies who are interested in working remotely. When Latoya isn't working abroad, she can be found in Chicago practicing Muay Thai and
5: organizing local Ruby events.
0: Latoya, you move around a lot, eh? That's the the She Nomads
5: thing. I do, actually. I spent two months working abroad from the UK. got there three days after Brexit happened, so that was wow. fascinating to see up close. Then I worked from uh, Tel Aviv in Israel, Barcelona and Bilbao in Spain, uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and Oslo in Norway.
4: Um, Latoya, I had the honor of being on the Sheena no- Nomads podcast, and I will never forget at the end, you were like, so, since you do work remote, what are some of the places where you have worked? And I'm like, my living room. <laughs> it never actually occurred to me that yes I can be anywhere and I can actually like I make a tax salary I could travel I could go to interesting places outside of Ohio and Indiana and um, like see some of the world and just you know work my nine or ten hours and be good
5: well that and it's so much cheaper like I actually saved money this summer I rented out my apartment which I know is not something everyone is interested in but like I rented out my apartment And then, you know, when you're in Lisbon and a glass of wine is $2 and a meal for a hearty, like full three course meal for three people is like $15, you're going to save some money.
0: Whoa, I want to go to Portugal now.
5: (laughs) I have all of the suggestions. If you ever go, please email me.
0: Excellent. So Latoya, one reason we wanted you to come on the show is because we read your article on Wired and Medium about hiring and job posting. Do you want to tell us about what inspired you to write that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So I was lying in bed on a Sunday evening thinking about just ranting on Twitter (laughs) because I was annoyed. Another woman that I know who started tech around the same time I did Laughed Tech, she decided to switch to go back to school for accounting because she felt like there wasn't a space for her here. And a part of that is because the job hunt was just very difficult for her. And when I talked to her about it, I was looking through careers pages, and I realized how uninviting they were to people. The article is called Dear Tech Companies Focus on Diversity, Not Foosball. And I basically, you know, looked at a bunch of careers pages on the internet and I noticed some common themes that I talk about in the article. For example, apparently people in tech really love foosball. They really love ping pong. They really love beer. There was actually a careers page that I saw that had a DJ booth in the middle of the office and an open bottle of champagne. So feeling like you're working at a frat house isn't enough for you. You can feel like you work at a nightclub.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Where do I sign up to flee?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, you know, not that kind of person, you're not going to fit in there. It's hard enough fitting in tech, I think, if you're not a person that lives at the intersection of the majority. So it's like I can see why women leave. You know, what's the point of going and getting hired somewhere where you're not going to fit in? Your reviews are going to be bad. You're going to be underpaid, overworked and underappreciated. And a part of that is because you just don't fit into that culture.
4: I've heard in interviews, sadly, interviews that I have been a part of after the interview, it's like, well, do you think there's someone that you'd want to have a beer with? And I can't believe it is 2016 and we're still asking questions like that as part of an interview process.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Right. And that question turns me off, especially because like, I just don't like beer. So (laughs) pretty much everybody fails that test for me. So yeah.
4: On a serious note, though, Sam, there are people in tech, believe it or not, who do not drink and who feel really alienated by the drinking culture that is so pervasive in tech.
1: Yes, absolutely. I worked once with an uh, observant Muslim who was uh, fairly generous to us when we occasionally did have celebratory beverages. But yeah, absolutely.
3: I was actually reading something just yesterday and it was, it's kind of related. It's a woman who was asking this question of, I had to move with my husband. She works in technology. So she's been out of work for like 15 months and she wants to go back to work, but she just found out she's pregnant and she's really worried about how she's supposed to go find a job. And I think that like to your point, Latoya, if you're looking at a careers page and there's a bunch of people drinking and popping bottles of champagne and you're an expecting mom, that's not exactly the environment that you feel like you're going to be able to fit in Or maybe meet new people that you're going to enjoy working with if, you know, the idea is everybody's having a party and you're about to have a family.
5: Absolutely. Something else I talked about in the article would be the order that the benefits appear in. So, for example, if you look, a lot of times they talk about food and alcohol before they talk about things like maternity leave, paternity leave, or partner leave because, you know, not everyone is having a child with a member of the opposite sex. So when I see alcohol show up, you know or free lunch that's great but like what happens if i get pregnant and have a baby yeah you know yeah
0: yeah and then even if you might enjoy a party now where are you going to be in five years and can you really find a future at a company where everyone looks like they're 22
4: i'm a developer of a certain age and um (laughs) i can definitely see ageism creeping in especially in the Mm -hmm. started culture Not just in like the faces that I see on a development team where everyone seems to be 25, but also the fact that people my age don't tend to be developers anymore. Um, They go into management or they go off and write books or they do something else. So I don't have a lot of peers who are my age. And then there's this assumption that if you work this startup, you're willing to work 60, 70 hours a week. And I have a life. I have a life that I've developed Mm -hmm. for myself. I'm too old for that crap.
5: Me too. I mean, I don't really have a life, but um, (laughs) I'd like to develop one (laughs) at some point. But I'm also, you know, like I'm 36. I'm not in the mood to I just don't want to be around a bunch of 21 year olds who are in that mentality, not to sound ageist or anything like that. But it's like if you're looking for a specific sort of person, I just know at my age, like I'm not going to fit in in that environment where I won't last long.
0: And maybe they really are targeting the people who do have 60, 70 hours a week. I mean, maybe that's part of the message here of if you want work-life balance, we don't want you. In which case, great. Thank you for letting me know that I don't don't want want you
5: either.
1: Yeah,
2: self-selection.
1: A lot has been said about the uh, exploitive nature of the startup world and how they look for people who are just out of college and honestly don't know any better.
2: Yeah. Latoya, you said in your article, there was a, a great quote that you put in there about how the team photo is very monochromatic, like you're looking through the thing, and it's it's all white dudes, basically. And (laughs) my my first takeaway from this is, why does Latoya think that women and people of color are bad at foosball? And I'll let you answer that however you want. (laughs) You can defend that on your own time. But the, the real question I have is, how does like the team photo, we talk a lot about how this influences your job seekers. And I think a lot of companies put up this photo because this is what our team is, but that's not what you're putting on your job page, is it? You're actually putting up a photo of what team you want.
5: Yeah. I mean, I know that you were joking when you said like, why are women and people of color so bad at foosball? But I think a part of it is that we don't hang out in frat houses all day. <laughs> not to say that like people who don't look like me and don't live at the same intersection as me do, but it's like, If you're good at foosball, how did you learn to get good at foosball? Like, what do you do on your spare time? You know, your likes, the things you want to do on your time off might be slightly different than mine. That's Um,
2: awesome. I also would have accepted just the one word answer of classy. (laughs) That's why.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. So back to your question. Yeah, it's certainly reflective of, I think, both of those things. Equally the team you have, but also the team you want. Like, someone from Etsy actually tweeted me. Because I mentioned that like sometimes, you know, they have either a woman or a person of color, but not both. Or they'll like not have any people of color, but they'll have a dog. And this guy from Etsy was like, oh, my God, you described our careers page. We have a dog, but no people of color. And I'm like, well, there you go you know Spot made it into the careers page photo but <laughs> uh,
1: which tells me that nobody there has pet allergies
5: that's true and the funny thing is someone actually left me a comment about that like if you have pet allergies and people bring their dogs into the office which they sometimes do then it's a little uninviting for you
4: at one of the jobs that I worked at the careers page was very white we actually had more developers named Blaine than we had female developers on the engineering team wow
0: I'm going to brag about my team, because my team at Stripe, we, we just added a seventh person who is the first straight white male on the team.
4: Nice. <laughs> nice. And
0: I'm, he's also a parent, so now there's two of us with kids.
4: Nice. Cool. Latoya, I'm interested if you got blowback from the article that you wrote, if you got criticism and harassment, because I, from what I hear, it's um sometimes difficult to be a woman with an opinion on the internet.
5: You know I did. That's not even a question. <laughs> you know the funny thing is is that some of them i think were valid so for example one person was like i you know said that they love would have loved if i would have included ageism but i have not experienced ageism as i don't look like i'm 36 i just thank you mom and dad but like i don't want to write about something that isn't authentic to me plus you can't really necessarily look at a photo and tell how old someone is i don't think You know, that wasn't like an obvious one to me personally, but I definitely got harassed. For example, the first line of the article, I think, says something along the lines of, let's pretend I'm looking for a job in tech. So someone just quoted it and then his response was, let's not.
1: Wow. Or
5: a lot of people explain to me, they're like, well, the problem is, is that you want to take the affirmative action route. You want the easy road. No, I don't want those things. I just want to be considered to be a part of a dev team. And I want to be able to be myself. I want to be an actualized human being when I'm at work. And these careers pages are making me think that those things aren't possible for me, you know? Or the idea that you know they somehow have to lower the bar for women of people of color. No, you just need to pull the bias out of your ass.
2: Can I rant just oh, a tiny yeah. little bit here? I wrote a thing that ended up I had to take a screenshot of it and stick it on Twitter, but because it wouldn't fit in a single tweet. But I, I wrote a while back that people were complaining and saying, you know, well, why do I have to hire for diversity? I don't want all these people that can't do the job. Da, 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 da. And this this makes me so angry on so many fronts the reason you need to be interviewing people for diversity is because you have so much bias for your own in-group. And if you don't Mm -hmm. overcome that, you're never even going to interview people who can do the job better than the straight white dudes that you're hiring because they look like you and talk like you and think like you. And I just get my knickers in a twist over (laughs) this notion that when somebody who is being systematically biased against, when they step up and say, I'd kind of like a little bit of a lower, more level playing field. I'd like the bias to be tipped a little bit back to level. And everybody else who has the bias and thinks that the playing field is level seems to think that you're asking for handouts and for special treatment and for all this stuff. And it, it's kind of like when I get approached by the people that are saying all lives matter. It's not just black lives matter. <sighs> well, yeah, it's true it, all lives do matter. But could we stop killing the black ones for a minute? It's not the same thing. We don't have a level playing field. Dave, when
3: you're talking about the people who think it's special to, you know, hire like people who are women or people of color, what it makes me think is that in their experience, like in their life, that is special for them because they can live a life where they don't have to include people of color or women. But for the opposite, like if you're a woman, I can't imagine like walking through my whole day and not talking to men. If you're a person of color, I can't imagine walking through my whole day and not interacting with people who are white. That's crazy to me. So I don't think that sometimes I wonder if they really just don't have the perspective of what life is like when it's not just people in the room like you. And that's why it's so hard for them to even envision, like, how do you do this? What do I have to do? Like, what extra steps do I have to take? Because in their life, those are extra steps for them, whereas for everybody else, that's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a beautiful tweet the other day from Amy Nguyen, I think, that said there's a mental health Bechdel test for women in male dominated fields of have you spoken to another woman today about work? And I love that. That's amazing. The Bech- yeah. The Bechdel test is, that's that thing where a movie passes the test if two women have a conversation that's not about a man, right?
1: Two named women, I believe, yes. Oh, Mm -hmm. they have to have names. Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so at work, like I have another woman on my team now and that's great and it really helps. I'm not even sure why, but it's really nice not being the only one.
5: Well, I can speak to that for a second. I feel like when you have a good balance, I think, between men and women um, on the team, I think there's a good balance of communication. But you can, for me, I've certainly been on a team and felt the difference when they hire someone who is male, especially if they're a little bit younger, because then sometimes it's like you have people talking over you a little more. It feels like you have to work a little harder to get that extra word in. And, you know, the perception could be that you're shy or that you're not confident in what you're doing when in reality, it's like, nope, I was just taught at a young age to not talk over people. Yeah.
0: The talking over people culture, it's particularly hard on women because, I mean, you can either like adopt that, which I could totally adopt that. And fit in with programmers, or you can not adopt that and fit in with women. But I love that in our industry, we are talking a lot about, at least people I talk to, getting rid of that talking over each other culture, because it, yeah, that helps women more, but it also helps introverts. It helps people who are just quiet. It helps everybody.
5: Yes, it also translates to pair programming. If you're pair programming with someone and it's someone who talks over people, they're going to type over you. Ooh, type. I have, I have. Seen I don't know if I'm happen. the only person that's experienced that.
4: No, I have seen like, yeah. just keyboard. Just, just let me do it. I, a few years ago, um, started going to an event called Ruby Decamp, which is run by Evan Light. It's a really wonderful experience. It's in a campground. 76, I think, people can attend because that's how many bunks there are in the cabins and The first day is a code retreat. And with code retreat, what you do is you solve Conway's game of life. And you do it about eight or nine times over the course of the day, each time with a different pair partner. And at the end of a 50-minute session of pair programming, you throw your code away and you start over with the next person. And um, the interesting thing about code retreat, and I think Corey Haynes was actually the person who invented code retreat. The interesting thing about it is with every round, new constraints are added. One of the first things you do is like, You can't talk to your pair partner at all. You can't communicate with them in any way, including typing at them. So the kind of coordination and, frankly, empathy that is required for pair programming with no talking is a really remarkable experience. And then when you get into like hostile pairing and ping pong pairing and some other ways that sort of change the interaction between your pair. But it's amazing how when you take out the ability to interrupt someone, pair programming really improves.
0: If you do this without speaking and very quietly, does that make you a ninja? <laughs> oh
4: goodness, gracious alive. Oh, I hope not.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jessica, that's an amazing segue in the hiring ninjas. A ninja walks into a
1: bar. No one noticed.
0: Here at Greater Than Code, we don't have real commercials because we are listener supported. We want to say thank you to our patrons. In particular, today we would like to thank Ryder Timberlake from Indiana. Writer, thank you for making Greater Than Code greater. We also mentioned earlier, No. Okay. I mentioned that like changing the culture from one of interrupting to less interrupting and not talking over each other helps everyone. And that's also the case with improving your job postings because you're not lowering the bar by doing that. You're making it more welcoming to everyone. And you don't only help women and minorities. You help everyone feel welcome. Because one of the things that I really liked about your article, Latoya, is this isn't just about the people in underrepresented groups. It's about anyone who empathizes with them.
5: Yes. And it's not even for the most part, anyone who necessarily empathizes with them. I mean, yes, absolutely. That is. But it's like not everyone wants to work in that environment. Even if you are a cisgendered straight white male, that doesn't mean that you want to work in that environment. Some people just like quiet and calm and getting work done and going home at the end of the day and doing whatever they want and not working 80-hour weeks.
1: Actually, when I read your article, I really, really loved it and identified with it because for years I've done pretty similar evaluation process where when I when I hear from a recruiter, I'll go check out the company's about page and I'll perform the count on at least the visible aspects that I can discern. And I'll look at their benefits page. And if there's like three or more of like beer and foosball and happy hour and and, you know, all those other bro things like I am literally not interested. I don't want to bother because what interests me is people that are empathetic and get along with each other and are interested in writing good code. And beer is not a proxy for any of those things.
0: I do want a feeling of belonging at work, but I don't want it from like hanging out and drinking with my coworkers. I want it from alignment on a meaningful work goal or at least a productive work goal.
1: Yeah.
4: I talk to bootcamp graduates a lot, and I always get asked, like, how do you find a company that's good, that's not going to use you up? And um I talk about values. I encourage, especially newer developers, to figure out what their values are in a professional sense, what things they value, and find a company that shares those same values, has that same alignment, because they are going to be hiring people, hopefully, who also align with those values And the next question is, well, how do I know? And like I tell them, the interview is a two-way process. The interview is your opportunity to learn what is important to a company, what is important to your managers, what is important to the teammates. We have a lot of privilege as developers. We're very mobile and not so much when you're entry level, when you're early career developer, but you can ask those questions. And as you advance in your career, you can get better and better matches with your value system.
3: I was one of those bootcamp graduates that had that question about like how to find the best place to fit, you know, like whatever type of environment I really want to work in. And one of the things that I have noticed over time that kind of wears on that is the ninja thing. Like when you have something in your job ad that's like, and we want you to be a ninja, you know, I'm not a ninja when I've been coding for six months or a year or two years. So I don't know if that means I can learn here because does that mean that I have to be like already amazing? Or is it okay if I'm a little bit amazing in some places, but maybe other places I want to grow? Like one of the things that sticks out to me is if you're not talking about like what types of things I can learn and grow at when I'm working at this company, then I feel like you only want somebody who's been doing this for, you know, X number of years and is already super great and has like a million talks on YouTube that I can go find and you don't look for somebody like me who's actually really interested in trying to learn more things and really excited about wanting to contribute to a team. And I don't really find that many jobs where it looks like you're looking for somebody like me, especially when you start talking about ninjas and superheroes and all the rest of it.
0: Yeah, The kind of ninja coder that I want to work with is the real ninja that you don't even know they're there because they're not out there drinking beer with everyone or promoting (laughs) themselves on Slack. They're just getting stuff done and the code works better and you don't even realize that they fixed it.
2: I used to have a sign hung up in my cubicle that said, the best coders I know make nasty shit disappear.
5: (laughs) Yeah, like I would personally rather be the ninja who's like fixing people's bugs in the background, which I think is super valuable and super important, you know, than like talking a bunch in Slack, but also creating all the bugs for the ninja to fix.
4: Very dear friend of mine was, we were talking about bug fixing and, um, she said that she loves fixing bugs because it's a problem that someone else already failed at and therefore is probably an interesting problem. Ooh.
0: Sam, I like your point about elves. That, yeah, I don't want the silent ninja who's slicing things. We want the elves who are working in the background and just making things
5: smooth. I mean, I practice Muay Thai. That's about as close to the as you're going to get. But other than that, I'm not what you're looking for.
0: (laughs) There you go. Save your ninja moves for the alley.
1: These aren't the ninjas you're looking for. And to come back around to the
4: values thing, what you were saying about not feeling like maybe a job was a place where you could grow. If a company values growth and if they value investing in their developers, they should be saying that in their job ad. They should be saying, you know, we will mentor you. We will provide you with learning opportunities. We'll send you to conferences. Those are things that should be explicit. And those are benefits. Those are benefits that are cultural and um, should be touted.
0: I have a question for everybody. What is something that your company or coworkers or someone at work did that made you feel included? That was the opposite of the discouraging things we've been talking about.
1: Honestly, the thing that comes to mind first is like I work from home and I'm uh, plus three hours from everybody else in my company. I've been isolated a lot these days. And just having a coworker who actually is also a supporter, Chris Sass, reach out and say, hey, uh, I haven't talked to you in a while. Do you want to take some time and pair? And and, uh, he was even willing to offset his schedule to match mine. I mean, just that was really nice. It made me feel more connected to uh, the rest of the people I work with.
4: The last company I worked for before GitHub was a very small company out of Madison, Wisconsin called Health Finch. And um, my first week there, I had a lot of meetings scheduled, like for onboarding and so on. And I noticed on my calendar, I had a meeting at five o'clock on Friday. And I got really, really angry because I'm like, who in the world schedules a meeting for five o'clock on a Friday? That's ridiculous. And it was called stand down. And I'm like, oh, so it's like a retrospective or something like that. I was really annoyed. So Friday at five o'clock came around and I get on video chat and it's my entire team just hanging out and just talking, not about work, just like getting to know one another and talking about things that they were going to do that weekend and sharing funny stories and sometimes even playing guitar. And it was just an opportunity for everyone who was remote to come together in a non-work situation and get to know each other better. And that was really amazing. And that's something that I plan on bringing with me to every remote job that I ever have again.
3: That's really cool. I would say for me as a newbie, it was being assigned real problems to work on, like not just like baby problems, like a real problem. And then... Having senior developers come check in with me and see how I'm doing and see if I need any help, but not really treating me like I can't do it. I
5: think for me, um, when it comes to stand-ups, I'm not the most talkative person. I'm more of like a one-on-one kind of quasi-introvert kind of person. So for me, I really appreciate it when someone who I've had a discussion with about a problem or about um, the way to solve it says, you know, and I have to give credit where credit was due. This is actually LaToya's idea. Because I may not, especially depending on the personality, they may not say as much when we're in that group setting. And I should probably speak up a little bit more. But it's just nice to know that you're included in that way.
0: Yesterday, one of my teammates pinged me in Slack. Hey, you look kind of sad in that meeting today. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. That was cool.
4: Wait a minute. You mean developers have emotions, Jessica? (sighs)
0: Yes, we are allowed to be sad.
4: Ninjas
5: aren't supposed to have emotions.
1: (laughs) And rock stars just have lots and lots of drugs. But no brown
4: (laughs) (laughs) M&Ms. I will give a shout out on the show to the first listener who tells me what that's a reference to.
2: Sam, you said something a a little while ago that I thought was absolutely fantastic. You, You said beer is not a proxy for something, something that you wanted. And... I really like that thought because, like, I don't have a problem with companies that say, come be a rock star, come be a ninja, come be a robot, come be a pirate. I don't know what, you know, come be a monkey. <laughs> I don't know. You know. They're they're being silly. They're being they're frivolous. Honest. They're having fun. And that's that's great. I tend to be a little bit of a spaz and I, I like, you know, frivolous and fun and adventurous. But when you say proxy, all of that kind of becomes meaningless. I I, I don't want ninjas as a proxy for diversity. I don't want rock stars as a proxy for diversity i don't want that Uh, i don't want foosball as a proxy for diversity i think i would love to be on a team that was diverse and had foosball ninjas on it i think that would be more fun but not as a proxy does that make sense
1: yeah, as you were talking, I was—I uh, found myself typing the word signaling into the chat. And I think signaling is really what's going on here. When companies use words like uh, ninja and rock star, or when they put pictures of dogs and foosball tables in, what they're doing is that they are signaling a certain kind of culture. And I mean, really, Latoya, that's what you were complaining about in the first place, right, with your Wired article?
4: Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about signaling for a second, because I think signaling is one of those things that is understood by underrepresented people in tech naturally and instinctively, and maybe not something that comes to mind for the majority. But signaling is a way that we can kind of, through a back channel, indicate to each other or an employer to a um, potential employee or a open source project to a potential contributor that you are free and safe and encouraged to bring your whole self to this situation. Yeah,
2: yeah
0: you belong here
4: exactly it's um you belong here we're not going to belittle you we're not going to strip away things that make you unique we're going to celebrate you and engage you at every level yeah, and yeah. the
5: thing is it's like if you don't conform to their sense of what your identity should be you're going to have problems is a signal that i get you know and sometimes yeah. i wonder if it's blatant if they don't want you know, I mean, I, I'm confident that sometimes it's blatant and sometimes they don't want people who aren't like them for whatever reason. And I think sometimes it's accidental. I think sometimes companies look at what's working for other companies and they're just like, okay, let's kind of make our careers page. Like this super awesome Silicon Valley company is doing cause they're in Silicon Valley. So they must be doing everything correctly. And that's just not the case.
4: So that's...
0: sometimes it's cargo culting,
5: cargo culting. Like... I'm not familiar.
0: Oh, Oh, I love this phrase. Because it comes out of, like, there was, like, and this is probably a a, a legend, but whatever. Supposedly, there was a tribe in, like, the Pacific Islands that it was used as, like, a staging base for supplies in, like, World War II or something. And there were, like, planes that would drop supplies there. And there were troops, manning the airfield, and the troops would, like, wave these lights around and then the planes would drop the supplies there and then the army would use the supplies for whatever and supposedly after the war was over some of the people who lived on the island would get lights and wave them around in the hope that the plane would drop supplies but it really just means copying what other people are doing without knowing why they did it that way just figuring well it worked for them so it'll work for me
5: yeah. Got it. yeah
0: what if it makes sense to use really strong signals in a job ad, because you're trying to hire like one or two people and you don't need to attract everyone mildly,
5: you need to attract a few people strongly.
1: Mhm that's good marketing yeah. It's yeah. funny
5: that you say marketing because in a sense, isn't that what it is? You're marketing to potential employees, right? So if mm-hmm. your startup has a marketing department, why not get with them and say, "Hey, what can we do to better attract someone?" we're looking for. For example, if you're looking for more people of color, if you're looking for women, then you make up a fake profile. This is a marketing thing that I've learned recently. You make up a fake profile of this person like, oh, we want this woman named Samantha. She lives in Chicago. She has dog allergies, whatever. Um, you make a fake profile and then you base your marketing piece on what this person would want. And it would be so great if tech companies could just do that. But they can't. So that's why I had to do something, you know, about it. And I decided to create it. A- job board. I'm not sure if this is a good time to segment into that or not, but a I'll look for it. Yes, the job yes. board! job board! Yes. So once I wrote the Medium article, all of a sudden I had a ton of people contacting me and asking me what to look for in jobs. And then I also had companies contacting me, asking me how they can attract more diverse clients. And at first I was just answering all of the emails, but I realized it started to take a lot of my time. So um, yeah, I put up a job board for remote gigs, for people that are part of the Shinomaz community, which is, again, underrepresented folks in tech and allies who are looking for jobs and companies that want to find them. So it's going really well. I'm super excited. It's a lot of work because I do have to pre-vet the companies. My thing is, like, if the community as a whole has a set of problems while searching for jobs and your company is representative of those problems, we probably don't want to work for you. So I'm not going to, like, (laughs) endorse a company that has a problem with women or people of color or has bottles of
4: champagne sitting around their office. So I am really curious, like how you actually carry out that vetting process.
5: Okay, so there's two parts of this. So I'm sure some of you or all of you are probably familiar with the Whisper Network. For me specifically, I do go to a lot of conferences. I do go to a lot of tech conferences and I talk to women. You know, we always say there's a meeting in the ladies room and that's where the good stuff is happening. That's where you find out what companies you should and shouldn't work for. I'll often reach out to women who are working at companies or who have in the past. So I'm not getting anyone who's currently employed there in trouble and kind of talk about their experience a little bit and see if anything comes out of that. A lot of companies actually let me know that it's not a good fit because they don't meet the minimum criteria, which is three things. Number one, they have to have a commitment to diversity and inclusion. Uh, number two, they have to provide meaningful work, which is a subjective thing. I'm just saying that like most people within the She-No-Meds community don't want to work on the next Tinder. Not that there's anything wrong with Tinder. People need dates, whatever, but it, you know, not something that people within the community seem to be interested in. And the third thing is, is that they have to offer reasonable pay. Every woman I've talked to at some point has been, not every woman, but a lot of women I've talked to at some point have been the lowest paid member of their team. They're making less than the interns. They're making less than someone who just came out of college and they have, you know, five or six years of experience and are leading the team and teaching. So we don't want that. And then sometimes we'll say, I'm sorry, we need to work on some of those things internally, but like, we're just not a good fit. This isn't where we are yet, which is an interesting thing to me because it makes the process really easy. And there's always your careers page. You know, I can look at it and say, OK, you want to hire women, but you, when they get there, they're probably not going to last in this environment.
4: Can we talk about pay for a minute? Let's. So I see a lot of talk about pay. I'm on a Slack community called Women in Tech Chat, and we actually have a talk pay channel. And um, hmm. I think we have to credit Lauren Voswinkel for her work, to surface conversations about equitable pay. She started the pay hashtag on Twitter and announced that on May 1st, International Workers Day, and I believe this was last year, she would be publicly discussing her job title, her experience, and her salary, and she urged other people to do so as well. A lot of people think that you cannot tell other people what you make. That you can't tell them what your salary is. And I really think that that is a tool that is a misconception that serves employers really well and serves especially undervalued people in tech really, really poorly.
3: How do you know what you should be getting paid for what you're doing? You have to talk to your peers. Well, then what happens if you don't have peers? So um, there's
5: a woman named Ashley Powell who did a fantastic talk at Write Speak Code and another fantastic talk at Windy City Rails. She offers three things that you should do. So I'll give her 100% credit for this, but this is what I've done when I've um, negotiated salary. The first thing is use Google. Google, what does the average Rails or Ember or whatever, you know, engineer in your market, what are they making? You can use Indeed.com for that. Um, The second thing is when when recruiters contact you on LinkedIn... And they ask you to come work with them. You can say, you know, I'm not looking right now, but I'm in the process of negotiating a salary with my current employer. And I would like to know what you're offering just so I you know, can have a better idea. And it's a win-win because, you know, if they come with a number that's a lot higher than your current employer, of course, you're going to continue the conversation. You know, they probably will. But then at that point, you know, obviously look at things like company culture, look at things like the work that you're doing, because is an extra 10 grand worth it? Maybe, maybe not. And the third thing is, as Coraline said, talk to your peers. I I ask everybody, I'm like, what is your salary? How long have you been doing this? What's the deal? Because I want to know how I can get to your level. I can't do that if I have a baseline of context. I can't do that if I'm not going out on a Friday night, getting drunk with the guys, listening to them spill their salaries, you know?
3: We haven't talked much about Sheena Met I want to know like why you started it. I love that it's about remote traveling because I, I meet so many people who want to do that, me included. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's unfortunate that there's not more people who are working remotely because of what you had mentioned earlier about like you can do so many different things. It can mm-hmm. be cheaper. So what was the inspiration for it? So the inspiration
5: for it was this. Um, when I took the job at Big Cartel, I knew that I you know was able to work remote and I told them that I wanted to travel while I was working, but I didn't really know how. Like, how do I find a good flight deal? How do I decide if I want to stay into a hostel or a hotel. How do I find other people that are traveling and working? There's this whole like digital nomad subculture of folks who have a lot of knowledge in that area. And there are people working in tech that have also been working remotely for a while. So I said, hey, why don't I start a podcast? This is a great way to pick people's brains and learn what I need to learn. So it started off as a podcast and it's kind of grown since then, but I've definitely learned a lot. For example, I found out through my podcast about a place called Surf Office in Lisbon. It's a co-living, co-working space. And the theme is surfing. You know, it's like a four-story building. In Lisbon, people come from all over the world and they're all working. They're not on vacation. They're there to work. So it's really fascinating to see how the culture of remote work has changed Through the people that are coming into the shared space. For example, I met someone who was a videographer. Whatever country he lands a job in, that's just where he stays for the month. Travels all over the world doing that, you know? And then there were, you know, bloggers. There were other, you know, people working in the tech space as software developers. And it's just such an interesting subculture. I definitely think that like remote work is about accessibility at its core. Not everyone wants to get on a crowded train. And go to the city for an hour. Not everyone wants to work in an office with people. Some people have family members that they depend on. So they need to be not necessarily in the same room with them, but they need to be home you know, while their other family members are just in case you need anything. So I think that like exploring remote work in that sense, the sense of accessibility is really interesting and important. And I feel really lucky that I've been able to explore it in the sense of traveling and doing all these really cool things. People with disabilities, chemical sensitivity, social anxiety. I hate riding the train so much. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. So I can only imagine someone who has a social anxiety. That's a barrier for them to get to work. So they might take a job where they know that they can work at home. But if they can't find a remote engineering gig, then it's a huge barrier for them.
0: We got to the opposite of the team of people drinking beer around the foosball table. That's true. If you get to work
5: remotely, (laughs) you really get to be you. You get to accommodate yourself. Yeah.
2: I don't have anybody to play foosball with, though. (laughs)
5: <laughs> Do you even have a foosball table?
2: No. Foosball with myself, sa- oh, 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 oh. oh.
0: Surely <laughs> they have, like, automatic foosball tables by now that you can play against. This is a problem we can solve with technology.
1: Foosball.com.
4: Jessica, you just spawned a, a Silicon Valley startup for saying that out loud. Thank you a lot.
1: <laughs> They're all busy. Let's get some real work
4: done.
0: <laughs> Toya, how long have you been working remotely?
5: I've been working remotely for a little over a year now
0: would you ever go back?
5: Never say never. Um, I think right now I'm very happy working remotely. You know, I really love to do things like my yoga, my kickboxing, you know, hang out with my plants, light my incense, whatever. And I can't do that. at work. can you imagine me coming to work with plants, incense, and my little crystals, weirding everyone out? No, you cannot. So for me and where I am in my lifestyle right now, it's pretty important that I have the freedom to make my own schedule and work from home.
3: So one of the things that people say to me about working remotely is that they're afraid that they'll be like lonely or they'll be bored. So Mm -hmm. what would you say to somebody who told you that? When you're working remotely,
5: communication is very important, very, very important. So I think that, you know, whether it's through Slack or HipChat or Google Hangouts, you're going to have meetings. You're going to have times where you need to talk to someone else. Like the company that I work at, if you're pair programming, you're just not going to get lonely because you're interacting with someone the entire time. Also, I always recommend that people lean towards companies that get the entire crew together at least once a year because just having that additional face to face time, there's something about it that makes you feel included and a little less lonely, even though you're working by yourself. Yeah, I love
0: meetups. And like after a day at work, I'm too tired to go to a programming meetup. But after a day of working by myself, I can do that social.
5: Yes, I will say that there is a meetup called Women in Tech Wellness that I started in Chicago. So if anyone listening is in Chicago and you want to go to a meetup and you want to interact with other folks in tech, but you don't want to write code, we meet once a month at Braintree. You don't even have to bring your yoga mat because we supply them. And there's a fantastic yoga instructor. And then after we just talk. So Women in Tech Wellness. cool.
3: Cool.
0: Awesome. Okay. So it's time for another shout out. This week, we want to take another minute to thank one of our ten dollars level patrons, Curtis Rainbold Green. Curtis is Rainbold Green on the Twitters, and it is people like him that help put us in the position to keep delivering you shows like this one. Thank you, Curtis, and thank you to all of our awesome contributors. And now for the takeaways. Dave wants to go first.
2: I really enjoyed this call today, and the thing that I'm really going to take away and think about really hard is this notion of signaling. I tried, hopefully Mandy will have edited this out of the podcast, but I took two really awful stabs at trying to explain a a concept that I was trying to tease apart here and I couldn't. And that means that I need to go think about it some more. There's a culture in every office situation. And I think it's worth sitting down and thinking about what kind of culture you project. I work at a company that is very white collar. We work in healthcare, so it's a little stuffier. You know, people dress up a little bit more. There's not as much ninja rock star pirate monkeying going on, and I like that kind of atmosphere. I don't have to have that at a place, but it's it's kind of nice and we definitely signal to certain people that you know you're not going to be happy here and other people you definitely are and I really like that i really I really want to go think seriously hard about how do we signal where do we signal up outside of work?
3: My biggest takeaway is that. I'm not the only person who doesn't like ninja stuff, even though I'm newer to this. And that there are other people who kind of are turned off by that too. And it's not everybody's, you know, ideal version of a senior developer. So that's actually really helpful for me.
4: My favorite idea that came out of this, I mean, I really enjoyed talking with you, LaToya, and hearing so much about your experiences and your perspectives. But the idea that it's going to stick with me and that I'm going to try and do something with is the idea of bringing marketing personas into the recruiting process. I think that is an amazing idea and can be so useful and could be such an amazing tool. I'm definitely taking that back with me. And um, I'm going to talk to people at GitHub about whether or not we do that. And if not, why not?
1: So for me one of the one of the main takeaways from this call is not anything that anybody said but uh, a pattern that I've noticed which is that Dave and I are the only two men in this call and I caught myself pretty early on in the episode doing that thing where I just say the next thing that comes into my head as soon as there's space to say it I know that that's a thing that causes me especially to try to dominate a conversation so I made an explicit effort to step back and let everybody else go and having ADD that's kind of hard for me to do but it was really valuable it's a it's a skill that I think uh, more of our listeners should try to practice.
5: One of my takeaways is that I really do appreciate what you all are doing. I think this information is so valuable, not only to the people that are in positions of power in the tech community, but for those who are new and coming in and don't really know what to do. So I just want to say thank you for my takeaway for having this podcast and doing what you do.
0: My takeaway from this show is a sense of gratitude for being able to work remote and for the diversity of my team at Stripe and for the way at work we can talk about these things. We we talk about in Slack whether we experience
4: a sense of belonging and inclusion
0: and especially the remote work. I'm going to do even more to promote that because I think it's it's humane.
4: So if you are not a remote worker, if your work is not remote friendly, I would challenge you to talk to your manager, talk to your team lead, and see if you can work from home one day a week and see if you can introduce the idea of remote work and prove to them that you can still be effective and efficient and a productive me- member of your team, even though you're not present in the office. So consider talking about that.
1: Ooh, can I piggyback on that?
4: Yeah, go for it.
1: All right. I have another challenge for you. If you are listening to this and you are on a partially distributed team where you've got a bunch of people in an office and maybe a few people out in satellite offices or working from home, uh, I would challenge you, especially if you're in a position of management, to work from home yourself at least one day a week so that you can build some empathy for what it's like to be on the other side of those tools and that divide uh, so that you can more effectively incorporate your more distributed teammates.
4: Wonderful. Are we all done? Thank you, everybody. And um, this is podcast number three, and I am so happy to be part of this. I think this is really wonderful. Um, I think we're doing some great work, and I can't wait Mm -hmm. to uh, see what happens next time.
2: We are so close to reaching our goal of continuing to bring you twice monthly episodes. On Patreon, we've raised $723 of the $950 goal. Now, we'd like to bring you weekly episodes. So if you are someone or if you know someone we should talk to about company sponsorship opportunities, please get in touch. Or if you, dear listener, would like to support us, please visit patreon.com slash greater than code, and that link will be in the show notes. I understand that
4: we have transcriptions that are becoming available for our episodes now.
2: Yes, we have transcripts up now for episodes one and two. Very exciting. Awesome. Yay,
1: I love transcripts.
2: I love being able to Google a quote. I think somebody said this at some point, and you can type in in Google, you can type in site colon greater than code.com, and then... A quote from the show, and Google will take you to that episode. I love it. Also,
4: want to point out that we are on iTunes now. So, if you prefer iTunes as your podcast source, um, you can search for Greater Than Code, and we will appear there. And you can play us on iTunes. And thank you, Coraline, for making that happen. It was an ordeal. <laughs> Um, Latoya thank you so much for coming on the show um, we had a great conversation I was really happy to be able to talk to you again and um, I think we covered some great points and you're a wonderful guest so thank you so much and to our listeners thank you and we will talk to you soon